You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. Digital products are all the rage among consumers today, and you know this because you're a consumer. Today, businesses can win or lose customer loyalty based on their digital experiences. And this intense focus on digital experience has led to the rise of the product development agency. These firms combine digital product creation skills, like coding, with the marketing tactics it takes to encourage adoption and retain users. Margarita Mangino is the chief growth officer at Uru IT, which is making the transition from developing digital products into a full-service digital product agency. In this episode of the podcast, I'm talking to Margarita about the rise of digital products and product-specific roles in organizations, about the challenges of transforming your go-to-market message, and how marketers should approach economic instability. Welcome to B2B Nation. Margarita Mangino, thanks for joining us here on B2B Nation. Why don't you take a minute or two and tell us who you are and what you do? Hi, Mike. Nice to be here. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm Margarita, as you said. I'm always use the joke like the drink. <laughs> I'm Chief Growth Officer at EuroIT, a digital product agency, and I'm responsible for the marketing, sales, and go-to-market strategy in the U.S., I have more than 10 years of experience in the software industry in sales and marketing roles. All right. So we talk to a lot of marketers who are marketing a specific product to a specific audience here on B2B Nation, like, for example, security software to cybersecurity professionals or marketing technology to marketers. You're marketing like services and capabilities. How does that make your role different from some of those other B2B marketers we talk to? That's a good question, Mike. I think that what makes my role different from the one that is selling a product is that you can't offer a free trial of your services, right? So in our case, we build digital products and sometimes they are from idea from scratch. And other times we help companies to improve and scale their products. And these products are like their babies uh, or their main revenue source. So that makes that our strategy to sell is a lot based in trust and good relationships. I think that is the main big difference. And we work with some digital marketing strategies, focusing on our brand awareness, content, SEO, positioning. But what really, really bring us new leads in, is our network and partners. We mostly sell by referrals, and that makes that our offline strategy is the king. If you're that dependent on human relationships, how hard have the last couple of years been for you? Well, they, they, were, they were hard, but as we have been in the industry for more than 15 years, what we did at the moment was, okay, maybe we won't be able to get a lot of new clients, but we really focus on our ongoing clients and they, are, they represent a lot of our new revenue each year. Actually, I was making the, the calculation this week and last year the, our, in our new revenue, 73% came from ongoing clients. So uh, what we did was to focus a lot there on our 
on the clients that we were already working. And then everyone was in the same page. And what happened, I think, with the pandemic is that, that people were really open to talk more like through digital channels. So our partners that were, uh, they were in their communities and network, they still uh, brought us new, new opportunities to work. But it's real that, I don't know if you know, but our company, we are, our headquarters are in Uruguay, in South America, and we have offices in Colombia and in Los Angeles. But mostly, even though our main strategy, our main go-to marketing strategy is to have presence in the US and we come and go every month and we try to be really present, mostly we still sell remotely. So it doesn't affect it a lot, but it, it's true that it, at the beginning, we were a little bit anxious to see how it was going to impact. Right. What would you say today is the biggest challenge that you face in your marketing? The biggest challenge that we are having right now is that uh, since a few years ago, we have been shifting our offering and we decided to transform our company from a software development studio into a digital product agency. That means that now we not only can have developers to develop new products, but we also work from the product strategy, design, obviously development and building, and but, but then the, the growth stages. And that meant that our market segment changed. Usually our buyer persona was a CTO, and we talk a lot about uh, tech stacks and I don't know, mostly technical things. And now our main buyer persona is a chief product officer. So we talk a lot more about business, uh, what are their goals, what they are trying to accomplish with their ideas or products or, or what they have. And what happened with this is to, when we changed market segments, it meant that we had to rebuild our branding positioning, and also our network, because our partners, the companies, the persons and companies that were referring projects to us, they were thinking of us as a digital, as a software development company, and not uh, being able to participate in the end-to-end -end product lifecycle. So we started, we had to do a recalculation, right? Like, like the GPS and say, okay, let's start again and, and see uh, how we can uh, do, leave all these changes, right? And, and how to build that authority again. We had a lot of authority in the, in the IT industry. So now what we're working on is how we can gain that authority again in this new product community, right? Right. And you, you see that a lot with companies or sometimes they just flat out say in their marketing, you knew us as this, but did you know we can do all these other things? As well? Exactly. Okay. What, the main reason for our change is that we wanted to be in the, in the table discussing with them the strategy and adding more value and not only like, okay, what are your requirements and we will code it, right? We can, we are really experts in building digital products. We have more than 15 years of experience doing for a lot of different industry, for a lot of different companies. So we were, we were really prepared to do that, to help you envision what is the best product for the need that you're having.
So when you marketed mostly to IT leaders to yeah. help them with, you know, like you said, the coding and the yeah. product uh, development from a purely technical standpoint, IT leaders, uh, there's a lot of noise in that space. There's a lot of people trying to get their attention. Is it easier to cut through the noise with product teams? Are they just as bombarded by companies who are trying to sell them tools and capabilities? What's the difference between those two? The IT roles have been around, like a lot of the IT roles as roles have existed for years. I think product as a position in the company hasn't really had the authority it's starting to get now, right? Until I think that that product people are started to gain more note notice in or being more relevant inside of the companies and they are gaining more power. And what we are seeing also is sometimes for us before IT was the one that was making the decision. They were the decision buyers, right? And now the whole process is led by the product people and IT what does what they do is to say okay we are fine they they, they pass the process but they are not the ones that are deciding because I think it's 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 a thing with the budget also product people start to have their own budgets their own structures their own areas and they don't depend anymore of the IT budget no so, you know so I I think but mostly what what we were talking about on how's the difference I think that product people are are eager to learn more about what is happening in the industry if they can find new products new companies that can help us help them to achieve their goals mostly they are open to to learn more but and and it's a profession that is growing a lot in the U.S. and around the world one of our strategies has been to support start working and supporting the product managers associations that are locally in L.A and Silicon Valley, for example, we participate as sponsors and as speakers in a lot of pro conference. And we are doing a lot of outbound also connecting. We try every week to have every week to have conversations with product people, even though we are not selling. It's just to understand what they are doing, what they are living and, and, and get them to know us. So we can be maybe a possibility in, in the near future. All right. So as you and I have this conversation, it's uh, it's the end of June. It's the end of the quarter for a lot of people. Uh, but the global economy looks like it's in for a little instability in the coming months. How does that affect your plans for attracting clients? And what's your advice to marketers about how they should operate in uncertain times? Yeah, I know. I have been doing a, a, a round of meetings with a lot of companies and, and product people, and I'm seeing that they are cutting their budgets. They are even letting people go. And it's so sad to see, right? It's like we were like start. everything was so good going for everyone. And it's so nice to see when that happens that, that it's a little sad. But I think that after we leave the pandemic, I learned that we can be, everyone can be very resilient and adapt for new times. I think that the best thing to do is to not ignore it, to see it that it's coming. Okay, let's let's face it, right? And also have many plans. You can, you can, you have to go to your plan A, right? Your original plan. 
but we must have also a plan B and I think a plan C too. It's like, okay, if this is not working, our best case scenario is the plan A, but if this happens, we can go in the plan B and what we should do if we're in the plan B and have a plan C that is pessimistic, but okay, what we should do if we have a plan C. And I think that uh, times of being flexible and being creative are, are coming. It obviously affects our plans, but I think that companies will still need to innovate more in these times. It's like, uh, if you want to survive, you, want, you need to, to, to innovate. And there are also times in which a lot of new entrepreneurs and creative ideas come to life because people are, are out of their comfort zone and they start thinking, okay, what can I do now if I don't have a job? why don't I start uh, my own company, right? So there are times where people are really creative and I think that can be sometimes an opportunity for us as we develop and build new products with LATAM talent. It can be of value and we can do a great job with a lower cost. So I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I don't want to be optimistic, but I'm, I'm seeing that for us, uh, maybe we can we can help the US based companies to still innovate and to still build new products because the digital world will still keep going right and and users will still still uh, have their higher expectations on how the apps and everything works you mentioned we haven't really talked about you mentioned the company being based in uruguay um, which when I think of hiring like offshore talent, I think a lot of people like me, they think of Asia, they think of the Far East. Latin America isn't top of mind for a lot of people. I think I could say that comfortably, but is that, how do you pitch that to clients as an, as an advantage for you? Yes, it's true. Usually when you have like these uh, terms that are offshoring, right? That, that comes with outsourcing, and offshoring usually means India, Asia, and that kind of, of, of countries and continents. But since a few years ago, we started to hear nearshoring, right? It's like outsourcing, but closely. And it usually refers to Latin America. It's true that it's not the, the most common and usually it, what it our pitch is that we are we have a great talent in Latin America. Usually we are very we are more familiar with the U.S. culture and the way you work and how you like to, to do things. We are countries that are really well prepared in IT. Uruguay, for example, is a really small country of three million people. It's the size of San Diego. I always say in in, in amount of people. So you can imagine <laughs> we are maybe our, our territory is not big, but it's bigger than San Diego, obviously. But one of our main uh, sources of uh, growth and industry is the IT. Actually, we have zero uh, um, disemployment in the, in the industry. And Colombia, for example, has a great talent also in IT and they have really great English. They are closer even than, than us uh, to the time zones. And 
we we really love to work with the U.S. companies, and we have been working with this kind of, with the market since a since 15 years ago. And we have clients like Bloomberg or Macmillan Learning, so they are big companies that are trusting us and 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 our talent. So our pitch basically is is that we can we can be there in just a few hours we can be i don't know with the west coast that maybe is the worst time zone that we have of difference with colombia they are just two hours so it's very very easy to to work with so montevideo if you weren't aware is on uh, atlantic time right so it's about the same yes. as like nova scotia and the maritime provinces of canada one hour off from U.S. East Coast, four hours off exactly. from U.S. West Coast. Exactly. Right? So. It's very close. And yeah. our English, we have good, good English. Usually it's easy to understand us. So I, I don't know. I, I think the most important part is, the, I think, is the talent. We have really talented people and also the culture. I think that, that the, to have the, a similar culture, it's easier to, to understand each other and, and communicate. So that's that's mainly the, the our pitch on that side. Yeah, three million people, like you said, San Diego. It's also about the size of my home state of Connecticut. Three. three okay, there you million. go. <laughs> so. All right, the question we ask almost everybody on B2B Nation: What is your favorite tool? What's the one thing you can't work without? The usual rules here are: you can't say your phone unless you're citing a specific app and. You can't say a product that you're trying to market or sell. So what is it for you, Margarita? Okay, I will do a disclosure. This is not sponsored, okay? <laughs> but my favorite tool is, is HubSpot, actually. I started to work with them in my previous job. And when I started in URIT, we were way behind in marketing and sales tools, using a lot of them, but they were not connected and the data was distributed and hard to unify. And it was really hard to understand what was working and what not. And also to gain speed and being agile in the marketing initiatives and making decisions. So one of the first things that I incorporated with my team as soon as I started was the marketing hub. And a few months later, I added the sales hub too to have visibility of the whole lead generation process. For me, it's, it's a tool that I have always opened. I'm always, I'm in charge from marketing to sales. So I need to be the whole picture and uh, to see the whole picture. I need to understand when a leads comes, where they are coming from, if they are coming from our uh, referral programs, if they are coming from our website, if they come from our website, if they are coming because they are using organic search or they are responding to some SEO or to some ad uh, that, that we are doing. I really, I'm, I'm trying to dig really deep on, on, on the data that I have. And even though I usually have all the analytics in, in HubSpot, I, I always, when I want to go deeper, I go to another tools and, and try to, to narrow down better the behaviors. But for me, it's so easy to have everything there and have the whole picture just in, in a few clicks that for me is the, is the best tool that, that my favorite tool actually. Yeah, I've used more than a few CRMs at this point. I think the UI in HubSpot is probably the best that I've worked with. It's a good tool. 
there's a lot of people online that know a lot about HubSpot too. So you feel like you're never in the dark and looking for tech support or anything because exactly pretty rabid community out there. Build landing pages really quickly. You can, I don't know, send all your communications through there and see how they work. What is do I be A B testing in the communications too? I don't know. We use a lot of the I even plan all the social media strategy over there and you know that is already scheduled and it's going to to go out uh, to the to the different networks and i don't know i have all everything in there all the record history record of all our accounts deals everything i don't for me it's very very a very complete uh, tool that i lo- i like to work with all right margarita mangino thanks for joining us here on b2b nation Thank you, Mike, for inviting me. I had I had a, a lot of fun. Thanks again to Margarita Mangino of Aru IT for joining us on this episode of B2B Nation. And thanks to the technology advice crew of Amy Dunn, KJ Pace, and Hunter Hill. You can subscribe to B2B Nation on Apple, Google, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Pneumonics in the Guild wrote our theme song. We'll catch you next time on B2B Nation. Mm-hmm.